Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be breaking down a massive increase to the cash prizing at all major Pokemon events, the regional championships, international championships, and the world championships. I mean, this is like massive, incredible news. The biggest thing to happen to the game in a long, long time. We're going to give all our thoughts and break down exactly what the changes are in this episode. For our first topic, we'll also, after that, be talking about kind of the current registration setup for events. There's been a lot of questions on the podcast as well uh, in the comment section of the YouTube videos of like, how do I stay signed up or get signed up for these tournaments that are coming up? We'll talk about what's happened so far this season, what the process has been looking like, and you know if we think it's going well, going bad, or what we think could change. Uh, we, of course, will have Guess That Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment of the cast. And then we're going to close out this episode by talking about the trading card game classic, which the full product was finally revealed at the World Championships. All of the cards included in each of the three decks. It's a super awesome high-end product that's looking to come out at the end of this year. We talked about it when it first got revealed. The full deck lists are now out there. We're going to give our thoughts on the product and all that. So if you're curious about that, stay tuned to the end. And then afterwards, we'll be heading to the bonus episode over on our Patreon. We're actually going to be doing something fun this week. So our patrons, you're definitely going to want to make sure you check out this week's bonus episode. My name is Chip Ritchie, joined here as always by my friend and co-host one day later than normal. Uh, because if you can't hear, I'm still kind of getting over it, but uh, <laughs> my voice was pretty much gone yesterday this would have not been possible i'm honestly amazed i've been talking this long azul what's up buddy how you doing how has uh how's your week been uh it's been it's been pretty rough actually well i mean it's just i've been sick you've been sick i've been sick um i think you got like kind of the rougher end of it than me to be honest um for sure but i was i was gonna start streaming again today but when i woke up this morning because i was feeling pretty good towards the end of yesterday but when i woke up this morning um yeah pretty bad like headache really mm. bad congestion again in the morning and it lasted for a while i'm starting to feel a little bit better this evening after actually getting into recording which is nice i was coughing quite a bit this morning as well um so hopefully tomorrow i'll start streaming again uh and actually getting back into making content because it feels like it's like an extra week off after the two weeks i was at away at worlds which kind of sucks because i was so sick i was going through like a box of kleenex a day uh oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> last week uh or just uh, just ending over this weekend so um yeah Pretty, pretty congested, but I'm starting to feel better now. And yeah, and I don't have quite a, a cough or a bad cough or anything like you do. But how was your week being sick, Chip? My week being sick was pretty terrible, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I started feeling bad like last Sunday. And then when we recorded the podcast last week, I was like not feeling great, but it wasn't like terrible, terrible. I didn't have a fever or anything yet. But starting like Wednesday night last week, I started to get a fever. And then I had a fever pretty much all day Thursday, all day Friday, most of the day Saturday. Broke for, or I don't know if it actually ever really broke. I don't have a fever anymore, so I guess it must have in the night at some point. But yeah. um, I was, yeah, not feeling good for several days there. Went to urgent care, tested negative for everything, flu, strep, COVID, all those things. So I uh, don't really know what it was. The doctor said, like, just a viral infection. She didn't give me any medicine, just sent me home and said, take some mucinex and some tylenol and that's what i did struggled through it for the it was pretty much a week i was sick uh 
but the last part of it was pretty rough. And it was kind of a bummer, too, because Samuel, my son, his birthday was last Thursday. So he turned one. We we're supposed to go do some fun things. We we're going to go to the Children's Museum downtown and stuff like that and take him to build a bear. And uh, we didn't get to do any of that because I was sick. So pretty bummed out. We'll go do it again at some point, but it won't be on his birthday. So I'm <laughs> I'm sad about that. I told my like I was talking to Brooke about that. I was like bummed that we're not doing it like on his birthday. She was like, he's one. He doesn't he, can, yeah. he doesn't know the difference. <laughs> it's OK. That's literally what I was about to say. But I like know, I know, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, right? You feel guilty. Are you going to like, once Samuel's old enough to understand what it means to have not gone to build the bears on his birthday, are you going to confess <laughs> your, uh, <laughs> your treacherous deed? Son, chip? I have sinned, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell him, yeah. And we were supposed to have a birthday party for him last weekend with like both of our families coming over. And obviously that didn't happen either because I was we had to cancel that because I was sick. So yeah. I had to reschedule it. So hopefully everything will go off without a hitch and we'll make it happen. But on the mend now, feeling better. Pretty much all that's left of it is a bit of a cough and sore throat and inability to really talk for too long at a time. I'm amazed that I talked for like two minutes straight in the intro, to be honest, without coughing. But we'll try to make it through this episode. We'll try to make it through the bonus episode, all those things. And this is definitely not one to miss as well because we have a ton, a ton to talk about because Pokemon uh, is this possible? I mean, is this maybe the best thing they've ever done? I don't know. I mean, is that, that's like well, think, such a, a broad, like a, a decisive thing, but it's, it's gotta be up there. Right. Well, I said, I, th uh, I tweeted out, this is like uh TPCI's first dub since 5k regionals and ICs were introduced. So, so since 2016. 2016. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, there's been a, a lot of L's since then, but I think, well, the prize pool increase is something that we've been asking well, that the community has felt like has been deserved for a while. Um, and when they didn't initially announce the prize pools for regionals and ICs with all the rest of the announcements they did a couple weeks ago, um, I was guessing that they were going to increase the prize pool. Um, I think there was a general feeling that they were going to. And my guess is that they're going to double the prize pool, um, but they went further than that. So this is actually like if they had just doubled the prize pool, be like, OK, TPCI is remaining on par for what they probably should exist, but I actually think they went, um, I don't know, above and beyond or like a little bit further than they really had to. And I, yeah, they definitely did uh, add quite a bit of, of cash to the prize pool past just doubling it. The, the first place prizes are effectively doubled, except for like ICs got a little bit extra, but like it's really the, the placements after first place where they put a little extra in. Yeah, so let's break it down, go through it. So for the TCG regional championships, also, by the way, these changes are, do not just affect TCG. They changed it for VGC, and they also added cash prizing to Go, which I think is a new thing for them. So congrats to Pokemon they change juniors that. and seniors for TCG? I don't even remember what it was before. Um, I think that this is what it was because they, they had the same payout as us, but there was just the kickers in place, right? And they just always uh, hit the okay. low kickers. Yeah. Um, so instead of having any kickers in place, there's just a set prizing. No matter how many people are at the tournament, this is what oh, the prize pool is that. going to be. Uh, for juniors and seniors, it's separate than masters. But yeah, we're going to be focusing, of course, here on the TCG, and we're going to just mostly be talking about <clears throat> masters division as well. So first place at a regional championships. It used to be 5K, solid amount of money. Now it is $10,000. And it used to be, First place got 5K. Second place was 2.5K. So first place was a full double 
of what second place was. That's not the case anymore. Second place is actually $7,000. And first place is a double of what you get for top four. Top four is now 5,000. You drop down to top eight, it's 3,000. Top 16 is 2,000. And top 32 is 1,000. Um, Should we just run through all of them real quick and just say like what the levels are for each of them and then we'll give our thoughts on all of it? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, and then at the international championship level, they increased the prizing for first place up to $25,000. It used to be 10K. Second place is 15. Top four, 10,000. Top eight, 7,000. Top 16, 5,000. Top 32, 3,000. And top 64 at an international championship is worth $2,000 in prize money. And then finally, at the World Championships, the biggest event of the year, so no prize. This is no surprise. This is where the biggest prizes are. First place is $50,000, a full double up. It was 25K, now 50. Second place is 30,000. Top four is 20,000. Top eight is 15, 16. Uh, top 16 is 10,000. And then top 32 for 5,000. So, like we said, first place has doubled, but the rest of the placements, I mean, Top 32 at a regionals more. used to be 250 bucks. <laughs> like it's a yeah. four times increase there. So what is like the the increase? Yeah. And what was the what did it used to be for top four? How much did you used to get top four? 1.5? Yeah. So like tripled, over tripled, um, tripled to quadrupled in every place that's not first. So quite a little bit further than just doubling up the prize pool. Um, which is great to see. Like as I said, like this is like like I said, this is like the first dub mm. I think we've seen from TPCI since 5k regionals and ICs were initially introduced it's cool to see the huge price will increases um i think it's good for the game i think it's probably like for just where we are inflation among the game getting that much bigger makes sense and hopefully they don't hold out as long for the next price i'm sure like as long as the game keeps growing the price pool should keep increasing right um yeah. so hopefully we don't have to hold out quite as long for the next price pool increase it does seem that like that tpci is getting a little bit more um hip with everything though so hopefully the process of these things moving along more aggressively uh happens you know at a quicker rate for like you know in the future like three four years from now whatever it might be when you know it feels like it's time for another prize pool increase hopefully it uh happens quicker or maybe they start to go to some kind of uh you know like kicker system yeah they got rid of the kickers completely but i think there could be like some kind of argument for like you know once we hit like a thousand players should maybe top 64 get some kind of prizing should the prizing increase for first place well i really... almost like this number i feel like has to be with like thousand player tournaments in mind right because i yeah, of course i of course, don't think course. it's crazy like we've got 12 north american regionals i think that it's reasonable that all 12 of them are over a thousand right like i mean we we're pretty I, close to that last year as long as the venues allow it, yeah, I think we'll they will all be over a thousand players. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and to put just a little bit of how big of a change this is into perspective for everyone at home, and also for one of our hosts here on the podcast, Azul had one of the best seasons of anyone last year. He actually finished with twenty four thousand five hundred dollars in tournament earnings. I think that was that put you third on the year in tournament earnings behind Vance who won worlds. So just one win gets him above <laughs> your twenty four five because he got twenty five and then toured with thir- a massive thirty seven. I mean, toward got finals at worlds. He got finals at um, he won an IC and got finals at another IC. So all that makes sense. But Azul with $24,500 in earnings, I did the math. Um, 
if you got the exact same tournament finishes with this current payout, that $24,500 looks like $77,000. Pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like crazy how massive of a change this is. Like, I mean... Uh, I mean, you'd have 3X'd your earnings last year, last season, yeah. right? Like, uh, and uh, that you could apply that to probably many other players across the board. Uh, I did it for Tord as well, who had 37,000 in earnings. His 37,000 would look like $88,000, uh, which would have, you know, still made him probably the highest earning player. I don't think anyone, even with, you know, loading up on some other top 16s or something like that. Uh, and that I think also showed like uh, your consistency kind of shine through there. I mean, you were like a top 16 finisher at like so many tournaments, top 16 or higher. Uh, and so like each one of those top 16s was worth $500. They're now worth $2,000 a piece, right? <laughs> like yeah, a, a huge, huge difference. Yeah, definitely makes a big difference. And I mean, that's definitely, you know, uh, as someone who's plans to like full-time compete again, it's definitely exciting to be able to have that much more potentially like on the line tournament to tournament and kind of making it like that much more seemingly like sustainable to like compete more consistently. Right. Um, and it actually like gives the opportunity for uh, more players to potentially consider doing that. But I think we're actually going to see from especially what we've seen from a couple of players on Twitter already is that like, seems like quite a few of the top players um, are going to try and do that whole circuit grind as much as they possibly can even uh yeah. from australia i saw brent tonneson tweet out um he's doing basically, like a bunch of stuff yeah yeah leaving it's australia the year of a world times. tour for brent tonneson it looked like yeah so and that's another thing too like i think we'll see like a lot of americans go to european events and a lot of europeans come over to american yeah. events and probably like latin america players and americans going to latin america events like we're gonna see a lot more of that than we than we have in the past yeah, and I think that's cool. I think it's cool to see. And I think we'll see, like, the I think the ICs are going to be filling up. I think, I don't know if LAIC filled up last year. I don't know if LAIC hit its cap. I'm pretty remember, sure it yeah. did. But I think it definitely will this year, for sure. Um, I think LAIC could get pretty big. I think that I think LAIC will probably be as big as there is room in the venue. Um, same thing, of course, with EYC and NAIC. But I think LAIC will kind of match them on that. And then, of course, I guess we could bring this up right now. I don't know, because I brought up ICs. But there is no... Um, more OCIC. Yeah, let's talk more about those. Yeah, the, the ICs in a minute. I actually want to talk um, a bit more about um, just while we're kind of like on the regional. So, like, I think a lot of the focus is kind of like on the top end, right? Which is what makes sense. Um, but something else with this, like, not just focusing on like top level players, like people who are going to be getting into these top eights and um, consistently getting top 32 finishes, but for like someone who's just trying to compete and like earn a world's invite or trying to like play Pokemon and make a little money on the side when you can, or break even on a trip, right? You know, if you're someone who doesn't mind loading into a car, driving, you know, seven, eight hours to a tournament, if you've got one within that distance to you, like you can make those trips relatively cheap, find a cheap hotel, split it with a bunch of people. Azul and I both have been through this phase of our Pokemon yeah. playing careers <laughs> where we loaded into cars and crammed into hotel rooms, slept in the corner, whatever it was. Right. Um, Multiple times, you know, for the frugal Pokemon player, you know, you can make, if you're in a good location, you know, maybe you live somewhere in the Midwest or like, you know, Northeast where there's like a decent amount of tournaments kind of drivable to you. Um, you know, if you drive to two, three tournaments, 
and then you just get top 32 at one of them. I don't, I mean, it's not unreasonable that that top 32 pays for all your expenses for like three, maybe four tournaments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a bit more to, to work with there uh, as far as like the return, the potential return from your, from your, you only have to spike like one top 32. And then like, if you get like top one twenty eight, two fifty six, earn your points or whatever, uh, that's great. But like, yeah uh just getting 132 can break even for you so like i mean from a financial standpoint i mean this does a lot i mean there's a lot for everyone and i guess like uh one of the topics we want to talk about i guess with that um which we go to first here would just be that it does stop at top 32 yeah um which was definitely a big talking point uh around the the big prize pool increase was that you know and I don't know what people were really looking for because I feel like no one really threw out a number. I didn't see anyone mention numbers, but it seemed like a lot of people just wanted some prizing for making day two. But like, but no one ever, I feel like I saw a lot of people wanting that, but no one was throwing out numbers. Should it go to top 64 and how much? Should it go to top 128 and how much? Should it go to anyone who makes day two and how much? I feel like all I saw on Twitter was people being like, oh, if you make day two, I feel like, I feel like the the prize uh, prize money should have gone down further than top 32 but i didn't see anyone mm-hmm. throwing out any numbers i don't know if you saw anyone specifically who threw like out any suggestions um, no i don't think i saw anyone uh one of the things though is like um uh i mean this prize pool is definitely very top heavy right and i'm sure yeah. like the people at pokemon like probably the way a lot of this worked is like okay we got this budget for prizing for these tournaments right or for this like for each regional so this is like what the budget is let's break this down and figure out the best way to make it work so i mean i'm sure there were models out there that paid out to the top 128 i'm sure there were models out there that paid to the top 64 but i think if they had um i would prefer this setup with like the low payout top 32 the lowest payout is top 32 for a thousand dollars than if top 32 got i prefer this to top 32 getting 500 and top 64 getting 250 right um because it just rewards that good finish um you know every everyone kind of knows where the line is i think it's a place that it makes sense right if you get top 32 uh, it, it, like a lot of people who get top 32 were people who like maybe lost winning ends, right? Like you were someone who was competing for top eight at some point throughout the day, more than likely, you know, some people lose yeah. early and then like fight into top 32, which is also something, you know, more worth doing now. You know, a lot of people, if they uh, lost like the first round or tied around at a regionals would just kind of drop and dip out. But now, I mean, Hey, you got to play it out, try to get that top 32 finish at least. Right. Um. Yeah, I didn't actually really think about that, but yeah, if you end up in the top thirty-two, you probably were someone who's contending for a top eight slot. So it's almost like a, yeah, that almost like feels like that's kind of the spot where you end off as, where it's like you were in contention, um, so but you didn't quite get there, but you made it in top thirty-two. There's some kind of uh, yeah, extra now, money back. If there was more money, I mean, I think like it would make sense. Just I mean, looking at the numbers, doing a little math here, I don't think it would have been crazy to see this payout and then also five hundred dollars for top sixty-four. But, you know, I mean, that's a lot more money, uh, you know, for a lot of tournaments, not just the 12th happening in North America, but all the regionals happening all over the world. Right. So, I mean, um, like I said, with the way that if, you know, this is what their budget was, this is how they laid it out. I'm happy with the way that they they outlined it. I'm also happy it's not as big of a jump percentage wise between like first and second. 
right? Yeah, that it's not like a full double up. Like the fact that you get second place means you earn half as much as the person who got first. Um, There's still a lot on the line, you know, more than was on the line previously, right? Three thousand dollars versus you know a twenty five hundred dollar difference. But uh, it's closer, right? And and I think like overall, like competitor wise, people walk away happy pretty much in either scenario there. Yeah, I, and I'm going to talk about this more later on with some of our other topics, but I think people like at the end of the day forget or just don't understand that TPCI is a business. They're not trying to run at a loss as much as they possibly can. Um, they're trying to put money into this thing, um, have people can be at their tournaments, but are trying to get like some kind of, uh, I mean, generally it feels like these tournaments are kind of more advertising than anything for TPCI, um, but they can't put endless amounts of money into uh, these tournaments, right? Um, they have to have a cutoff at some point. This is their budget. It's a huge increase in prize pool. They said, I think this is like definitely a dub from TPCI. If they had switched it around a little bit and given top 64 money or had just given top 64 money in general on top of what they already gave us, that'd be cool. The fact that they didn't though, I don't think it's like a massive negative. I don't think it really matters too much. I think there's, there's two, there's two kind of trains of thought that I saw come out of this one that I think is warranted and one that I think is, uh, I'm going to give some life advice, uh, life advice on the first mm-hmm. one is, um, you know, it just would feel cool to get something for making day two, I think. And I think okay, I'm like, I don't hate that. I don't hate the idea of that. I think one thing that Pokemon has been lagging behind every other card game. Um, now, I don't think Pokemon's entire prize pool economy should be promo cards, but I think some kind of placement promo card like every other game ever has had would be cool. Yeah. You know, you just take the regional promo. Like what was the last regional promo we had? Like Roxanne or something? Mm-hmm. Just put a top a, a, a champion stamp on it, a second place stamp on it, a top day four, two. a top eight, a top sixteen, a top thirty two, and then a day two stamp. Just have a day two stamped promo. And I think that would kind of, um, would would compensate. Uh, would 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 kind of uh, you know, fix that issue that a lot of people have. Which is like, if you if you make day two, it'd be kind of cool to just get something. You know? Yeah. Um, here's something i mean they've got these prize these like uh, the prize packs that they give you at league right yeah i mean people are going crazy for those things i mean the cards that are included <laughs> in those are super cool but like i mean people are like fiending for them at cups and stuff like that like oh do we get one of these for entry like um and, and pokemon's been giving them out like candy to the stores which is great i think that's how it should be um but what if we had like one that was like a little higher value that could have like an ultimate art or something like that in it um so some sort of like regional level prize pack that everyone who made day two got like two or three of those or something like that i think that would be cool as well yeah and maybe just put like a different stamp on it or something like that i don't think we'd ever get like any different artwork exclusive tournament artworks um i don't think we're i mean i don't think that that would be that crazy i mean we've had exclusive tournament artworks before like that choice belt right was an exclusive artwork um that was already that ICs. existed in japan right no no i think it was f- made for oh yeah i remember the one you're talking about with the manky mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah oh, okay you're right you're right that did exist yeah, that's true that's true um the other reason that i've been seeing people like and i saw this way more than i thought i would and it's an argument i've never heard in like defense of that if you make day two you should get something is was people bringing up the idea that well if you make day two you know you have to spend a whole nother day at the event um you have to pay for another hotel night whatever that might be and to that free life advice to anyone if the compensation of getting i don't know even like 150 dollars for making top 128 at a uh, making day two at a pokemon tournament is like a financial uh if that's a big financial 
shift in your life or whatever it might be, the difference between like staying an extra day at a Pokemon tournament or not. I think you got to put the cards down for a month, three months, six months, a year. Figure yourself out financially because that should not be an argument. I saw that. Hap- I saw way too many people bring that up. That should not be an argument as to why there should be day two prizing is the fact that because you can't financially afford to stay at a Pokemon tournament for another day unless you're getting like 150 bucks for making top 128 or whatever. Like that's where you need to like have like a little bit of a, a mental shift around Pokemon. T- the Pokemon TCG as a hobby because at the end of the day, the Pokemon TCG is like a luxury hobby. Getting top top 32, top 64 should not be like this big financial come up for you uh, from going to this tournament. At that point, you definitely need to have like a little bit of a mental shift around your your financial situation. Just kind of some free life advice I'm going to throw out there. I don't mind putting it my, putting it out there like that, but yeah, that should not be a, a big difference maker between you staying at another uh, another night at a Pokemon tournament. So yeah. um, I saw that argument. I've never heard that argument before until this this uh the new prize pool boost or the new prize pool drop and then it's hard all of a sudden came out of nowhere i was like this is not an argument you this is not an argument to have so um but yeah i think what they gave us is huge it's a huge improvement uh they could always do more but like i said they are a business they have a budget they, like like chip said this is what they gave us and this is like a huge improvement so i don't think there's like any reason to complain or gripe about it i understand the idea of just like if you make day two you kind of want something for that but i feel like this and this is kind of goes with um how easy i think invites have been in the pokemon tcg in the past it's almost like pokemon players kind of expect something from like mm-hmm. in the past for the invite thing it was like okay if i just show up to uh, all my locals and i show up to a bunch of regionals i just get my invite right the level of player you had to be to achieve that wasn't very high now the bar has definitely been raised for getting your invite right and i think that's fine and i think uh discussion around that's kind of settled in the pokemon community so far i haven't even seen as as many people have as many gripes with the new uh championship point increase um and with this thing with the with the price pool increase and it not going down past top 32 no top 64 not no top 128 back in the day when we had like 300 400 person regionals basically there was like 32 players in day two right so everyone got something but just because that's how that was in the past doesn't mean that's how that should be and the idea of having to commit the two days a full weekend to showing up and playing pokemon and potentially not getting something i think is only a a seemingly a, a a huge negative because of what we had in the past right people only have a big uh a big deal with the current championship point threshold for invites is because in the past it was easier um people have a huge deal with the price pool not going past top 32 because in the past usually when you made day two you would get something or it's a little bit easier and i guess like last season was kind of the same thing where people were like you know we're having these massive thousand person regionals that we never really seen before and it's like people are showing up and playing more re- uh, rounds in day two and not getting anything but i just i don't know to, it, but but like you could make that argument all the way back to day one and be like well the person who goes oh three drop and the person who goes five four the person who went five four played played six more rounds but they're not getting anything over the person who went oh three drop why shouldn't they get something more right like we can we can go all we can keep going you know, we can make that argument go constantly all the way into day one, right? So I just don't get like that. I just don't think that's a good argument, like for why um, we yeah. should have more prizing past top thirty-two in day two. To me, that doesn't really make a whole ton of sense. I think it's just kind of a a bad argument, just because something how it was in the past doesn't mean that's how it has to be in the future. Just because you have to work a little bit harder to achieve something in the Pokemon TCG now doesn't mean it's uh, bad. Although I can understand yeah. the idea of it just kind of feeling bad that if you make day two you know, there's nothing, you don't really walk away with anything. Um, but I, I guess- one thing I did see about this a lot too, was also people saying things like, you know, you know, it, it, it makes that like 
33rd, 34th bubble out feel even worse almost. And I'm going to say like, it's always felt pretty bad. Yeah. I've, like <laughs> I've gotten 33rd at a regionals before where top 32 got... got cash and 33rd did not, did not feel great. But I mean, someone's got to be the first person out no matter what. Yeah. Right. It, I mean, someone's going to bubble at ninth at these regionals and that's the difference between 2000 and $3,000. Right. So it's like, I mean, these differences happen all over the place. Someone's always going to be the first one out. And as, to the point about, you know, getting into day two, like you, everyone getting into day two should get something. Um, you, everyone who getting into day two does get something right. They get the opportunity and the chance to compete for a regional championship title that yeah. everyone who makes day two gets no one who make no one who didn't make it from day one nobody gets that chance right so you have that over everyone else who competed in the tournament you have the opportunity to compete for a regional champion title and now it's like that's not even the only thing you're competing for as well right uh in the past it was like top 32 and top you know 128 didn't really feel that big of a difference to be honest yeah. i think for a lot of people it's like okay cool i got top 32 250 bucks it almost doesn't even cover your travel for one tournament these days right but uh now getting a chance to even just play for top 32 to get a thousand bucks you know that's enough to like pay for your trip uh or pay for your trip for that tournament and then maybe get you to one more regionals than what you were expecting to right now you can book a plane ticket to go to the next tournament uh that's a little farther away that you wouldn't have gone to otherwise right um yeah that's what happened to me in uh, Georgia, Athens, 2017. Um, uh, I, I got top eight at Athens regionals. Uh, it was my first regionals top eight. And I used the money. There was 750 bucks at the time. I used it to buy a $300 plane ticket to go to Collinsville regionals, a tournament I wasn't going to go to otherwise. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I think we'll see a lot more of that happen for people too. Yeah. I think like I actually to like expand a little bit further on that, on my thought process of like, I think, it's like a cultural thing in the Pokemon community where people are tying their achievements to a directly monetary number instead of the achievement of improving at the game itself. And I think that's what we actually saw with the world's invite discussion that came up when they increased the championship points is everyone was just like, Oh, it's just so hard to get my world's invite now. I think that's because in, in Pokemon, it felt like whenever you talk to someone, everyone was playing for their world's invite. Every right. single year in Pokemon. They don't care about top 80 on regional or winning a regional. If they get their world's invite, that's all they care about. But it feels like we're almost shifting to more of a, a, a system now where it's like maybe, and hopefully, I think this is for a good thing, we should go back to being like maybe your first step is getting top eight at your first regionals, right? And then from there, that's your that's your step in your first season. And then the next season, you're like, okay, I got my top eight in my regionals in the first season. I got close to my invite. Now this season, I want to I want to win a regional. I want to get my invite and so on, so on and so forth from there. But it's like when everyone gets into the game, their first thing is immediately just get the world's invite. But it's not even like try and win regionals, try and top eight regionals, um, or even these placements at these regionals now are directly tied to the the monetary return, which is, you know, get top 32 to get $1,000 instead of being like, okay, I got my top, my first day too. That's my achievement. That's all I need to make me want to compete and keep growing in the game. I got my first top 64. I got my first top 32. And it's not like, oh, I got the thousand dollars. Like, oh, I got my first top 32. And then from there, you're like, I want to get top 16. I want to get top eight. I want to win the regional. Um, I want to get my world's invite. Um, you know, after you've achieved some of these other things, and some of these other things are accomplishments. It's almost like the it's like no one's playing for these accomplishments of of doing these other smaller things. The only accomplishment that existed in Pokemon, I think you've talked about this as well, which it feels like the only thing to play for in Pokemon is getting your world's invite. But I think it's just because that's how people view it. People don't aren't thinking about, oh, I want to win a regional. I want to get my first regional win, my first regional top eight. 
we can make yeah. those things i feel like those things have been like diminished as achievements in the pokemon tcg um it's like a cultural thing in the pokemon tcg where the only thing that you should be cared about is almost like getting your world's invite but now that's that that that's so far to reach for a lot of people i think those players who aren't going to be able to probably get their world's invite this year but are still going to go to some regionals should should refocus on and a lot of people a lot of players should refocus on making their achievements you know that next thing that they haven't done in the pokemon tcg when your first league challenge when your first league cup don't just focus on like the invite as being the only achievement possible or in this case if you don't get top 32 top 64 can still be an achievement just because you didn't get anything for making uh i mean you get 18 packs whatever you get top 128 your first top 128 yeah. original let that be an achievement for you don't be so focused on oh i didn't get any money i didn't get anything for getting day two you don't need something to show to make something an achievement, basically. I feel like it's like a, it's just like a, a bad mindset that a lot of people in the Pokemon community have around the invite and then this kind of thing of like, well, if I make day two and I don't get anything, did I really make day two? It's like, yes, you did, but you need to have that mental shift yourself. Sure. Uh, one thing that I saw brought up in regards to this, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that like a change like this brings more people into the game. That's what happened. Good. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened in 2016 <laughs> when they added cash to these regionals yeah. for the first time. You know, for a long time, you only got like booster boxes and you got to buy at US Nationals if you want our regionals or two buys the, even, the right? Like $1,500 uh, scholarship. You get the. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. So, but there was no like cash on the line, right? Yeah, but yeah. then they added cash. You first place, you got five thousand dollars and um the first tournament of regionals were like 250 to 300 people before that season and that first regionals was that orlando regionals right and was it was one. like the 650 was... people i think yeah the first one was arizona oh right 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 um, yeah that one was still small that was, it was still like, like 400 500. people though yeah, yeah it was four or five hundred uh but that orlando that first orlando regionals uh which was the second regionals of the year was like 650 people is like the biggest tournament that had ever happened at the time which like nowadays it feels so silly to look at that number and we're you know quadrupling that with our first tournament this season um, yeah, 460 at uh phoenix in 2016 um orlando as well orlando so like you was... know a, there was a big jump then yeah. there will be a big jump th this year Mm -hmm. uh you know i think there was gonna be a big jump regardless but once like you, this kind of like takes hold to more people i think some of our mid to late season regionals are just gonna be probably massive you know with more cash on the line and so one of the things i saw brought up is that this is a good and bad thing because this is just gonna bring <laughs> more cheaters into the game Lizzle, what are your thoughts on that take yeah i saw people saying it's gonna bring more cheaters it's gonna like the players who are already trying to take as big of advantage as they can in the game in the current situation will even try and take a bigger advantage of things i don't know it just feels like such a weird like what they're saying isn't i guess that's not wrong right but it's like i mean sure but like what what is this doing like i don't know i feel like this should have been a moment where it's like we're all happy TPCI. Yeah. why is this your first reaction yeah why is, is it why is this like even your it, second like... reaction for uh as well i saw some people kind of making some jokes around it as well which is like a little bit different right right to get right. that twitter clout when you can um but it's rough out here man yeah <laughs> people start seeing those those checks or those transactions gets posted from uh the twitter ad whatever that i don't even know how that that works but apparently I think for like literally anyone who like is big enough and has twitter blue can like get, earn money from it okay okay so that's what it is yeah but for a certain amount of impressions i don't know likes retweets, whatever it might be you can make money on twitter now apparently people see that and it's like whenever you can get that cloud bro you gotta go for it <laughs> you get a couple likes 
Um, you got to go for it. Um, but Please, sir, just a smidge of clout. <laughs> yeah, it just feels like a weird. I don't know. To me, it just feels weird. It's like what they're saying is not wrong. I think. It, I think. Yeah, we're probably going to see. I, I mean, it's kind of like the way I kind of uh, I've thought about it in the past is like you know the people who are like hype beasts, um, and all the hype beasts that kind of like hype beasts in terms of people who like is hype beast the right word. Um, you know, the people who like flip sneakers and then when yes. Pokemon got really hyped, yes. they all came over to Pokemon and started flipping Pokemon cards. You see people walking out of grocery stores with 20 cereal boxes because they had like the promo card in it. You know, yeah. like everyone was a Pokemon flipper all of a sudden. Maybe hype beast isn't quite the right word. I think that's probably a little bit more negative. It's on the hype right beast. word. Hype is, yeah, hype beast, right? Pokemon was hype. The beast came, tried to take advantage of it. There will be some of that, right? There will be uh, card sharks. Um, people who cheat in other card games who just go around card game to card game trying to take as big of advantage as they possibly can as long as they can until they get banned or get kind of pushed out of the community, whatever it might be. And they're going to show up in Pokemon. Uh, I'm sure some of them showed up in Pokemon uh, initially. I remember actually one that actually did. Um, they were uh, not hitting on Yu-Gi-Oh! specifically. They were a Yu-Gi-Oh! player. I know who you're talking over about, to Pokemon. Yeah. yeah. Um, I played against them actually at Dallas Regionals that yeah, year. Yeah, he top-aided a couple of regionals. Probably top aided. I think he top. I think he top aided that regionals. It's top thirty two. Okay, maybe. Okay. Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, he showed up. You know, was around for a little while. Ended up getting banned for stealing a deck box. I think <laughs> at the end of it, also literally yeah. just showed up to Pokemon, tried to min max as po- as much as he possibly could, I guess, and then you know eventually got banned. But so the, the people like that will show up. But it's like it, it doesn't mean they shouldn't increase the prize pool. Um, and and it is like a thing where it's like um i don't know, it just felt like such a negative way to look at everything when it's like yeah we're saying it isn't wrong but it's like i don't know who cares it's gonna happen you know i think we can i think the pokemon community overall this between staffing organizers stuff does a pretty good job at trying to identify uh any uh bad actors when they do appear and eliminating them from the community i think a lot of people think that it's we, we that is not true and that like you know there's cheating running rampant uh they never ban any cheaters or deal with any of the problems but i i think pokemon does like or tpci the whole the whole like uh ecosystem of the community from uh tournament organizers to staff to players like i think it does a pretty good job at flushing out um and kind of moving along people who need to be removed yeah. from the community as it happens of course and it, and i think i mean they're not vigilant enough about banning cheaters these days though that is kind I of think the they issue, could do right? better i mean one of the things that always comes up i mean sometimes there's enough evidence of course but when you're like a player in the community, you're going to see and hear a lot more than uh, staff at will sometimes. So just because you know something and even if you know it to be true, it still has to be proven to TPCI and, you know, a head judge at a tournament or something like that. You can't just be like, oh, this guy palmed a card. And then the judge is going to be like, well, you're right. They're banned. Like, that's not how it works, right? It yeah. can't. You, if you're someone who's like a player in the community, to a decent extent and you know i hear and see stuff all the time right um but i know that just because i say something to someone at a tournament um it can't be acted on right it's also to be proven to them so like I, I think overall a pretty good job gets done and uh hopefully you know we don't run into a bunch of uh new cheating situations and allegations with this release of this prize pool yeah. um but overall i think it's a really positive thing i think it was uh, the the negative viewpoints on it were a little bit weird to just that be like be the main concern it almost seemed like some of the some of the discussions and tweets that i saw almost seemed like people thought it would have been better if the price pool didn't increase and we should have kept it the way it was just to kind of deter any like <laughs> i think it was it was probably more so like 
I, I think it was probably more so like, hey, this is a good thing, but here's a bad thing that comes with this good thing, which yeah. I mean, I do think it is fair and fine to point these things out overall. I think it's a little like, you know, if that's like if this is kind of like your first reaction to it, you know, that's a little silly. But I mean, like you said, like there's truth to it without a doubt. And yeah. I do think that with there being more on the line, uh, Pokemon uh, Pokemon should hold their tournaments to a higher standard of integrity or level of integrity. Um, and what I mean by that is like more vigilance and better better training for judges on what cheating in the game looks like and better training for judges on like when to step in and stop games and say things right um yeah it's gonna get yeah. hard though the terms are getting bigger there's gonna be more yeah uh or like uh entry like first time staff yeah um it's gonna talk. be rough probably for the first few tournaments but i think pokemon should be uh they could be and i think they should be more aggressive with um how they handle some of these situations, you know, when there's a lot of evidence of someone cheating at a tournament and then they're still not banned, still able to play. You may know who we're talking about. Um, it's all, I mean, I just think like when there's this much more money on the line, like those bad actors try to find more opportunities to take advantage. Right. Yeah. Also, and I think people should, direct their energy in the right places like this all comes back to tpci um this all comes back to tpci actually putting out the effort to put out some kind of training system for staff and judges right and yeah. then also potentially compensating judges and staff better um to create a more competitive environment amongst the staff for people to try and staff events so that way we have more of the uh better staff better, better staff because if we're if we're, let's say like if you if you're trying to if you're trying to get staff for an event and you have 100 openings and you only get 100 applicants well you take all 100 right so you're going to get some that are really good and you're going to get some that are really new and not quite as good but you know we have to staff these events somehow um we'll talk a little bit more about that um in a second here um but if you if you open up if you need 100 100 uh 100 staff members and you get 500 applicants you can kind of pick and choose who you want um and go after some more experience of course you do want to give opportunities for newer judges to be able to staff your events um and have those opportunities to you know show that if you you know put in the time and put in the effort and try and uh, work at these events you will be, have an opportunity to staff the bigger events or even move up become head judges yada yada, yada whatever it might be um but you're going to have you're going to have uh, more to choose from, right? And you can get more experienced staff in there who will be able to, um, you know, hopefully put on or run a better, uh, run a better event overall. So um, it kind of just comes back to TPCI. So kind of hating on judges and um, putting it on the judges every time event to event. I think the player base goes a little bit too far in one direction. It really all comes back to TPCI. TPCI, as far as I know, does not have any kind of like formal training for judges in general at their major tournaments uh, and they also aren't compensated um you know even like a minimum hour wage at these tournaments there are as well. professors all seminars. volunteers yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day it's all volunteers right they're yes, all just yeah. people volunteering their time and we need them to exist to be able to run these tournaments so i think there's a lot of uh misdirected energy 
and uh, probably a little bit over enthusiastic energy from the players pretty often uh, during or after major tournaments when, you know, something comes up where it seems like there was maybe an incorrect ruling or, or a judge call or something like that. Yeah, I, they, I, I will say, like, I have seen, like, an increased effort from Pokemon in recent years with, like, there being more of these professor seminars happening. Um, professor seminars happening, like, at these tournaments where there's, like, aggressive training happening, like, you know, how to handle certain situations and things like that, common ways that X thing looks and all those types of things. So, um, and I think they've done a good job of, like, picking uh long time judges in the community that are uh you know good examples of like what a good judge looks like who are people who are now like mentoring other judges like there were there were uh judges at worlds who their one purpose there was not to be a judge but to mentor the other judges and like help them approach other situations uh, or like manage how they're approaching situations. So I, I think Pokemon has started to do a good job doing those things. I agree for sure that judges should be compensated much more fairly because that just naturally creates a more, um, it, it helps give the judge more ownership of what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and you it, care a little bit more if like yeah. if you doing very poorly, all of a sudden makes you lose out on this opportunity where you feel like, um, it's something you enjoy doing. The compensation is good. So you like going out of your way to spend a whole weekend at a regional. You're being compensated fairly for it. Uh, you enjoy doing it. You don't want to lose that. So you're going to put more time and effort to make sure you can come back and do it again. One more thing before we talk about the international championships thing. Um, I saw this discussion brought up on Twitter today. There's something that was brought up on Mellow Magikarp's Lake of Rage podcast. He had a podcast this week with Henry Brand um, where one of the things they talked about was with the increased pricing, you will see less and less publicly posted deck lists. Even if a list changes three cards, those few tech cards could make or break it for you. And I think that's just overall can lean into the does what uh, that not does, but like the fact that this increased pricing does create uh, a bit more of a cutthroat environment um, where there's maybe going to be a little bit less of that kind of sharing of information going on from some players. Um, now, we're in an age where within the week of a tournament, most of the time, deck lists are getting posted from everyone who competed in the event. But I mean, we've got a lot of tournaments that are week after week, right, across the world. So, I mean, yeah. I don't think that it's necessarily crazy to think that like a tournament could happen in america and then there's a european regionals the next weekend and the person who wins that tournament in america doesn't post their deck list because they want to keep it secret for themselves and then maybe they're going to compete in europe if it's a top level player right who's making all these trips um they might not post that deck list because unless the tournament organizer or arcanine or pokemon is more on top of it enough themselves to put it out there um, they don't want those like little bits of information to be revealed, right? Those little bits of optimization. Uh, yeah. I mean, if they, if they won, they're probably on stream enough times that someone could be able to rip their list pretty easily, but, um, maybe you don't make it easier for them. Hopefully I think it should just become the norm. I would like it to get to the point where literally the day the tournament is done, the list are all just posted on RK9. Um, it seems like that is like basically just a button that needs to be pressed. <laughs> so <laughs> it'd be cool if like one of the things that, and I think it comes from the tournament organizers. The tournament tournament organizers have to okay RK9 to make the list public. I'm pretty sure is what I've seen on Twitter um, from RK9. So yeah. 
it'd be cool if the tournament organizers could just be uh diligent about that and literally just like give the okay to rk9 before the tournament's even over uh so that way just when the tournament ends boom, i mean you could post them live. the minute the tournament is over exactly yeah or yeah. i don't know it doesn't seem unreasonable that tpci couldn't just step in and like okay it for every major tournament for rk9 to post in it literally after the tournament's over because as far as i can tell it seems like rk9 just has to push a button and then all of this become public for the most part so um it'd be cool if it was like at least consistent across the board whether it be like one week after the tournament's done they all release ideally it's literally just like as soon as the tournament is, as soon as there's a champion crowned of the major tournament, it'd be nice if all the lists just went public immediately. So, and at least, as long as it's on like a consistent basis, you know, 24 hours immediately after what it might be, that happens after every major tournament at the exact same time frame. That'd be just cool to see, I think, overall. Yeah. Um, so, on to the international championships because they did also announce our th- three, not four, three mm-hmm. international championship tournaments. The first one is going to be in Sao Paulo, Brazil, I believe. Yeah, it's the same. Uh, uh, was the venue the same venue that it was last year? Um, in November, November seventeenth to nineteenth, EUIC is going to be it at the Excel Center in London. Seems to be one of their favorite places to go. Um, April fifth to the seventh, and NAIC is making a move, a change, going to a city that we've never been to before for a Pokemon tournament, and that is New Orleans, Louisiana, June seventh to ninth um so there is ocic missing from this list we'll talk about that in a minute first as we'll just what are your kind of reactions on these three dates and locations um i mean yeah i mean i don't know where they would ever put it in la ic besides put la ic besides sao paulo so that one is rio all right yeah i mean that was pretty predictable right that was predictable to me uh london is also like seems like i'm not surprised um, there's definitely other locations in Europe where they could put it. Um, I feel like I someone in my chat a little while ago on Twitch chat said that they're locked into London for like one more year, and then they have like a contract for like this year, the year after. I don't know where they got that information, but that's what they said. So they have knows, an uncle maybe. that works at Nintendo, right? Yeah, they got an uncle that works at Nintendo. So so far, I mean, they're right so far. But going back to London, uh, maybe we go back again one more year or another year after that. I don't think it's a terrible idea. It does seem like a pretty good location to hold it in terms of. Dude, I've still never Europe. been to a tournament at the Excel Center. <laughs> well, hopefully this will be your first one this year, finally, Chip. We'll see. Um, for, for like for Americans, London's pretty convenient to get to. I don't know about for uh, Latin American players. I don't know about for... I, I think mean, it's got to be one of the, the easiest cities just in Europe to travel to, right? Yeah. Well, I know you need like a passport because like Philip couldn't go last year because the passport was expired or something. So well, yeah, uh, even if you're... a different country. Well, yeah. Well, I guess that makes sense. It's not part Even of the European like, by... Union anymore. Well, I can go to Canada without my passport. You just need your driver's license if you drive, right? I think you still need your sure. passport. I saw someone I talk so. about this on Twitter actually recently. I don't know. I, I thought don't... Europe would be a little bit more lax. Everything is just so close together. Like if you literally just like make a wrong turn, it seems like you're in another country in Europe sometimes. There's so many small countries like right next to each other. <laughs> yeah. Um but uh but those countries yeah. are all part of the european union so you don't need your passport to go between the european union countries it's just so like confusing over there yeah what yeah. i'm trying to say is i don't know how convenient london is for europeans whatever i've asked in my chat it seems like it's like pretty reasonable for most europeans to get to london um it's pretty pretty convenient for americans i know that it definitely is like a little bit more time consuming and uh just kind of harder to find a good flight or flights usually more expensive for like the other two 
uh, locations we've had so far, which have been both one was Berlin, one was I forget the other one to be honest because I didn't go. Were they both in Germany though? Frank- yeah, Frankfurt. Yeah, Frankfurt. Um, and then uh, New Orleans sounds cool to me. It's not Columbus. I've never been to New Orleans, so I'm excited for. I'm more most excited for NAIC to be honest over EUIC or LAIC. Uh, the real yeah. challenge will be, of course, registering for the event. But hopefully, if that happens, I'm excited to go to New Orleans. Three thousand player New Orleans NAI- NAIC. I think it could happen. Yeah, yeah I'm super it. pumped for for NAIC. I've been to New Orleans two times. Most recently, I went when Clemson played the national championship there. So I was there for like a big event. And I was actually, uh, they had stuff going on for the national championship in the convention center that this tournament is going to be in. It's right on the water. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm super pumped. New Orleans is a really cool city. Uh I feel like a lot of big cities in the U S don't really have like a lot of culture, you know, just like that intangible thing that you just kind of feel when you travel to a new place that, you know, the people who live here have that, like just something different about the way they do their day-to-day yeah. lives. But, um, well, especially the Midwest. Cities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to like New York, I think you'll feel <laughs> New York is a little bit different, but if we're going to, especially for anyone who's like a visit India, bouncing between Indiana and Columbus for, uh, <laughs> for Gosh, NAIC and US laugh, dude. You just put me into a coughing fit <laughs> <laughs> over and over. There's not much going on there. Um, but yeah, something that like New Orleans definitely seems, uh, pretty yeah. cool. I definitely, I, from everything I've heard about it and seen from it, never been there. Like I said, definitely, I definitely, uh, <clears throat> think there is going to be it's going to be a good experience for sure as someone who's never been uh one thing i did when i went there was we did like a a cajun uh like river boat tour where they kind of took us through the like louisiana bayou and stuff like that saw a lot of wildlife we saw like wild pigs and stuff like that um we saw people whose houses are on the water, like literally yeah. floating houses and stuff like that stuff you see in documentaries on TV. So, um, yeah, lo- <coughs> excuse me. Lots of cool things to do in New Orleans. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, definitely excited for New Orleans. Um, and yeah, absent is uh, Oceana. Uh, OCIC. They actually. Yeah, there you go. You have the posting there. Um so there was this this was like posted in a uh season information update article um that was released uh, alongside the announcement of kind of everything that was happening Uh, and it says the international championships were introduced in the 2017 season and were designed around the sizes of our four major rating zones at the time europe latin america north america and oceana following the restructure of the oceana rating zone in 2020 that region was split into two smaller rating zones asian pacific and the newly ref, uh, newly defined Oceana rating zone. Since then, we have been assessing how we can best serve our global player base. And we have made the difficult decision to remove the Oceana International Championships from our circuit. We'll continue to support the rating zone with regional championships. Stay tuned for details. And they did release three dates for regionals in Australia. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure um, when the first one is. When are they coming up? November, Brisbane. Uh, Melbourne and Perth regionals. And they're a little bit more spread out this time around instead of all of the major tournaments besides OCIC, actually even maybe OCIC, all the major tournaments in Australia mm-hmm. last year were literally in the same format. Yeah. Um, so that kind of that was kind of a bummer for them. Um, and players from this rating zone are still eligible to earn travel support to other international championships and worlds. We hope that the other changes to see 
uh, come out of the 2024 season show our resolve to improve the play Pokemon uh, experience for trainers around the world. We hope that the other changes you you, uh, you see come out of the. Does that mean there's going to be more stuff that they're going to be releasing? Is that what I, is that how I'm reading that? We we hope that we hope that the other changes you see come out of the 2024 season show our resolve. I mean, they've already made changes, right? You know. Yeah, is that what they're talking about? Is that like that what's referencing, or is that like referencing? Yeah, more? maybe so. I mean, the fact that I mean, I think a big part of that sentence, right, is the fact that there's no overlapping dates for regionals, right? So that's like there are now, way... there are now. Oh, are there? Yeah, the Oceana ones overlap now. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. We were at that point for a little while where there was no overlapping major tournament, and dates. we still only have one Latin America regional announced. Yeah, I think it might have just been coincidence, to be honest. Like at first, it kind of looked like there was maybe trying to do no, something with I... that, but. Uh, it's it's intent i mean i think it's to some level like it oh yeah is i think they're trying to spread them out a little yeah. more yeah yeah but they're not trying to do no i mean as we can see there with the well they might still try to keep like europe they might still try and keep europe latin america and north america split up on their mm -hmm. major event dates maybe only oceana will have some overlapping um i'm but, trying to yeah, see which one oh it looks like okay orlando is the same weekend as perth yeah got yeah, it so there's some overlapping now um, but before the yeah, end, none of the major tournaments, including the special events, the special events weren't overlapping either. One thing I will say, though, European that is kind of wild. So uh, Perth is always the smallest regionals of the year, like just yeah. worldwide. It was usually around 100 players. There's going to be 100 players that show up to this tournament, and 32 of them are going to have $1,000, right? And one oh, of them is going to walk away with 10 grand for a 100-person tournament. <laughs> it's pretty wild, Azul. It'll probably be bigger than 100 people this time around, but... I doubt that there will be many people from outside of, of Perth or of like people outside of Australia competing. Maybe some like Japanese players will actually like go out of their way to go to this tournament. Right. Or like Asia, other Asian country players. Yeah. And hopefully it is bigger. Cause I think you'll get a lot of attendance. Hopefully it is bigger than hundred players this time around as well. Um, yeah. But I think we'll see as long as the venue permits it with no OCIC though. Do you think they're going to actually have to change the points for, uh australian players i don't like, remember what like their points points was was at they needed quite a bit i think if i remember correctly i don't remember what it was either to be honest that there was uh, the tab here, right I there can you find it right here you got yeah. it yeah it'll be on um, this page for oceania it it's 300 that's a video game the closest a little bit higher yeah my bad it is there we go 300, 300. <laughs> Yeah, do you think they'll have to change that? Because they don't have like as, oh, as like chance, yeah. yeah, cups and challenges. They don't have a ton of cups and challenges either. Like they just don't have as many game stores there. Um, yeah, only three regional championships. No, because the OCIC was like a huge injection of points into the region, right? Right. Um, or I guess ICs in general um, are just a huge a lot of points. Even though they are international tournaments, it's the region that usually ends up walking away with the most points. Or almost, I would have surprised if it if they ever don't end up walking away with the most points overall. So. Um, yeah, what I'm overall pretty. That? I'm definitely like disappointed to see this because you know there's a lot of great players in Australia. Um, the region was already kind of struggling because like they got their day two spots cut in half. You know they lost uh, Oceania, used to be a much larger region, right? It got cut in half. It lost all the Asia Pacific countries. Um, so really, I mean Oceania this year was pretty much like just players from Australia and New Zealand, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think there was many others outside of that. Um, so, 
I don't know. I think it's a it's definitely disappointing, but it's kind of not that surprising to see that this is the direction things have gone, that they were moving away. I, I don't know if it means they're moving away from the region or they just want to downsize and they'll be fine with the fact that there's regionals. Maybe they'll continue to host regionals in future years. Yeah. Um, Do you think it's like a possibility it that it's definitely disappointing? I think it's possibly that TPC takes over the Oceania region and then. Well, I think that the only thing that Japan has uh, over like TPCI, uh, as far as Australia goes, like the only reason it would be would be because of like proximity of the country, like closeness between the two yeah. countries, right? Japan is closer to Australia than the US is to Australia. Um, other than that, you know, it's completely different, right? You know, yeah. um, it's an uh, an English speaking country, right? It, it would be the only English speaking country that TPCI doesn't service, right? So well, it feels kind of the, weird. The most actually, I figured, I I learned this at Worlds. The 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 in Singapore, they speak English, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the number one language in Singapore. The language sure. is used well, so not quite, but yeah, I know what you're saying. True. I know what you're okay, saying. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that at all. I had no idea what they spoke in Singapore, but apparently it's just English. I think it's Singapore. Is that what I'm thinking of? I think it's Singapore. I think so. I'm going to just Google it to fact check you. <laughs> yeah. The only thing that I was like thinking, um, uh, if it's not Singapore, it's some other they speak. Country. They speak Malay, Singaporean, Mandarin, English, and Tamil. But I thought I heard that like Singapore or English is like the, the Mandarin and most. other variants of Chinese are the most common languages spoke spoken. Maybe it's not Singapore. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. But I their official languages are English and Singaporean Mandarin um, and Malay. But yeah, that, I don't know. That, that'd be like one thing where they could be leaning that route. Or, or do you think do you think it's ever possible that TPCI just cuts them off and then Oceania is just not? I don't think so. Right. I don't think they would ever completely abandon the region. Well, I mean, I don't think that would happen unless TPC took it over, right? Yeah, yeah. So it'd be one or the other. It'd be yeah. either TPCI keeps it or TPCI takes over or TPC takes over. Yeah, I yeah. don't think it's just getting cut off and left out to dry. You know, the island floats away or whatever. Like, I don't yeah. think they're they're doing that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's With, definitely uh... a bummer to see. But it looks like some of the players are already, like, planning to adapt, right? Like, we saw Brent... Uh, Posting about going to a bunch of like other regionals all over the world. Natalie Miller, she yeah. wrote a really long thread with her thoughts and her perspective on it. But then, you know, I saw the other side of that um, from people like Mitch Sableyes. You know, he was, you know, pretty distraught by this. He's pretty much, I think he literally tweeted, I quit. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how serious, like, if yeah, he's yeah. actually done or, you know, he's just like frustrated. Um, but it does seem like, like the top players who did kind of put their opinion out there on Twitter, they're like, I mean, they, they almost it almost seems like you know they're like well it kind of sucks but like we can understand the choice from tpci which is like a really good and uh you know it's, it's like a good mindset to have around it you can be frustrated about it you can suck but you know being logical about it which i think is like a lot of a lot of pokemon players are just not logical about many things when these kind of changes happen um they don't really fully think things through um and they just kind of think in terms of kind of selfishly, it's like, oh, but this this is uh, worse for me or, or hurts me, so therefore it's terrible and awful. It's like something can be suck and frustrating, but at the end of the day, you can also be like, oh, but like it does kind of make sense. Like um, it makes sense that this change happened, even if it 
it sucks for me. Um, overall, it's probably better for the game, better for the community, whatever it might be. Whatever this would lead to, it feels like it'll be better for the game overall. And, you know, I can understand that. So um, it does kind of suck for them. Like I said, I feel like maybe their, their points for an invite might have to come down. Um, we'll see what they end up doing with that. Uh, but it does seem like it has turned uh, not all these changes, specifically for the Australian players, a little bit. Um, like I said, Natalie, Brent, seems like Henry as well. I saw Tord tweet out uh, that in the second wave of the Pittsburgh registrations, Tord's coming to Pittsburgh, it looks like. So a lot of players are seeming to try and maybe go like full-time competitor, which I feel like with the prize pool increase is potentially possible, especially if it's probably supplemented with some way. Like I feel like the go-to way for most top players is like coaching, right? Like yeah. as far as like actually turning this into like a full-time thing, like a full-time job competing seems possible. And it seems like some players are definitely going to try and uh, try and do that. Yeah. I mean, if we look at the top earners from last year, the top three earners was Tord, Vance and you Vance won worlds. And then you and Tord are like two of the best, right? So it's like an unachievable you know, and and that money, if we look at those numbers, Tord was thirty seven thousand, Vance was twenty six thousand, and you were twenty four five. Um, you know, that's a lot of money, right? But like, when you consider the amount of travel and costs that go into Fences, yeah. competing at that level, um, you know, that you're not taking home nearly that much at the end of the year. So I mean, it's yeah. not enough money to live on just that money. So like, players like you and Tord. Um, the way it's always been supplemented is through other means like sponsors, content, and coaching, like you mentioned, is definitely a big one. Um, and I think it is achievable for people to make like a decent enough living um, doing playing and coaching the old way if you have like very cheap cost of living, right? If you're young, you live with your parents still, or if you have like multiple roommates and you've just got kind of like a decent situation where you can kind of chill and, um, but it did feel like kind of a uh, – you very quickly capped out of what was possible, right? Like you could come yeah. away with like a $50,000 year potentially if you were like an above-average player, or like a, a good player yeah. with decent tournament winnings and coach. Right? 1%. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now, I mean, that person, if they coach and play, I mean, it's not unreasonable that we see multiple people um, – with you know thirty forty thousand dollars tournament earnings at the end of the year, and then you know you supplement that with the coaching or content or sponsors. I think like with more money in the game, awards. there's probably more sponsors that come to the game too potentially. Um, so all those things do add up. You know uh, when the tide comes in, all ships rise, right? So like yeah, you know good things happening all around. But I think there is room where it would be possible for someone like you or like toward uh, any of these top, you know, 0.01% players. Um, I think it would be possible for someone to literally be a full-time competitor. And what that means is all you are doing is playing Pokemon. You are not coaching. You're not making content. You're making your earning from playing the game and your sponsorships for like wearing a Jersey or whatever it is at the game. Yeah. Um, I think that we're in a realm now where that is possible for a select few people, which has never been possible before. Yeah. Yeah. It's always had to like, everything's always had to be supplemented by some kind of content. Like even Tor does like streaming and stuff and definitely does coaching. Um, I think sponsors, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sponsors. I think it is definitely possible that, yeah, maybe like a full, full-time competitor. And you'd be looking at going to like potentially like every single regional, right? So you'd be going, if you're, 
you're a European player. You're trying to come to some North American events. I think when I looked at like Brent's, uh, Brent's uh, itinerary or whatever that he kind of put out on Twitter, it's like he's going to be like, you know, go, leaving Australia to hit up multiple out of country majors and then coming back to Australia uh, a couple times throughout the year. So trying to do, you know, three or four major tournaments on each trek out of Australia um, and then make their way back. So and that's actually something I thought about as well. I was like, well, especially for me, like someone in America, I'm already in America. So I already got like 12, 13 major tournaments pretty close by. And then, you know, I already want to go to at least one European regional this year. And now like maybe I try and go to a couple more European regionals. You know, there's at least one Latin America regional announced. Maybe there's a couple more announced later on. There probably will be. Maybe try and go to some of those. I was like, I, I kind of thought about it as well when I was seeing everyone kind of tweet about trying to do like almost like a full circuit grind. Yeah. Um, because the returns are so much higher now. Um, it, it almost makes sense to try to, especially when like you told me my number as what I would have made last year if it was with this year's prize pool. I was like, okay, I'm, I mean, that seems kind of doable to be honest, but so um, like, yeah, I'm not sure fully what I'm going to do this season yet, personally. Well, yeah, let, let me ask you, though, like, you know, as someone who, I mean, you are, you know, one of the top competitors in this game worldwide. Um, so, like, you are one of the people who could feasibly drop everything else, the content, the coaching, the podcast. It would make me very sad. I could but... probably still do the podcast. It, would, it, would, it would take that much time. Okay, but... sure, sure. But, like, I mean... <laughs> So, like, what is um, what would be different about how you approach the game compared to what you do now, right? Because, I mean, obviously, you would still try to play your best, right? You would obviously yeah. still prepare a good deck for the tournament. But how is that? Uh, how is what you do now with content and coaching and all these things? How does that detract from what you could theoretically be doing if you were full time? Like is the is what you would gain uh from dropping those things enough to like do you understand what I mean? Like yeah, you know, yeah. is, does that make up enough for like what you would earn from turn like would it make you have that many better tournament finishes you think? Um it would definitely improve my tournament finishes by a decent percentage um i don't know fully what that would be um and if things do get more competitive this year then you know you have to kind of keep up with what everyone else is bringing to the table as well right so that could also be a factor so um yeah i mean it would improve i don't know if it would make up for um everything i'm doing right now in terms of like monetarily um you know if i drop the youtube the twitch and all that stuff i probably don't plan to fully do that um i think i can still pretty like last year i still traveled I don't know, was 15 regional. I traveled 20 times. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah. 15 regionals, four year, ICs. Yeah. yeah, 20 times. So this year, looking at 17 and then European regional, that'd be 18. And then maybe I throw a couple more regions, 19, 20. And I'm still, that's already getting close to potentially going to all the regionals I could possibly go to. I don't think I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to try and make my way to Australia for any of their regionals, but I would maybe try and go to Latin America, European one, whatever it might be. Um, so that's already looking at maybe about the same amount of travel I did last year. And last year, I still tried to keep up with the YouTube and the Twitch and coaching and all that stuff. So um, I don't know. It'd be something to consider. I could, like, you know, you could try and go all out. I don't know how many European regionals are. They're like five. So it'd be like 17 plus the three ICs. That's 20. Worlds, 21. Two to three Latin American regionals. That's 23 travel, uh, three trips throughout the year. And then, you know, prepping that much more for each of those tournaments, putting a lot more time into preparation. So um it would definitely be interesting it's something i've thought about trying to maybe do like the full competitor thing i don't think i'll ever like i don't think i'll end up going that route but um i think it would be uh, definitely more sustainable now to do that 
way more. Um, it would be something cool to do, though. It was never a thought before, but yeah, now never it is a thought, a thought really. right? Yeah, yeah, it is a thought for sure. Yeah, never. Yeah, the price, the price pool difference is like huge. That's why it feels so weird when people had like so many negative comments and thoughts on it. Um, even if it was coming from a way of, a, uh, uh, not like a, I mean, it did feel pretty negative. Yeah, the price pool increase is just like it's like so massive. Like it's such, it's more than double the price pool. It's huge. Um, so like having any kind of neg- negative thoughts or um ideas behind it I've always felt it felt really weird to me when they initially announced it but um yeah definitely definitely is a thought but yeah we'll see what ends up happening throughout the year maybe i'll kind of just see how the, the beginning of the the season goes and kind of adjust from there or maybe next season is when i potentially take like competing a little bit more seriously who knows all of it on the table at least well as well i think we've talked I don't know if we talked enough about it but we've talked a lot about uh <laughs> this change there's i mean it's you know the best thing that's happened to the game in a long, long time long time so we got to give pokemon credit when they do something right obviously there's still issues out there with the game and uh this you know change could present new issues but overall very good direction for the future of our game let's move on to our next topic here talking about the current setup of registration for these regional championships we've had a few regional registrations go up already we've had um the barcelona special event go up and also uh, i just realized I, f- I saw this for the first time today that sacramento regionals registration is tomorrow or like today yep. the day that this podcast comes out um i think the uh to's twitter account did not have that many followers and so like people didn't realize like oh this is happening but yeah tomorrow sacramento regionals registration is going out um so they definitely need to to, like talk on that real fast they need to like have like a page on pokemon.com or they need to have like a better updated page on like rk9 labs like if you go to rk9 labs right now there's pittsburgh barcelona no idea how to pronounce this one (laughs) uh latin america one yeah latin america regional and then there's also peoria regionals but like all the other regionals, to be honest, should just be on this page. And then there should be, like, uh, tomorrow there will be Sacramento regionals on this page. And there will be a little thing under it where the title of the tournament is that says um, uh, registration will be opening at X time. But that should be on there, like, way ahead in advance. I don't understand why that's not on this page right now. There's, like, no central hub to view when all the regionals are what the regionals are when they're happening and then like when registration opens up for them and it should just be rk9 labs like there should just be all the regionals listed on well, it should be pokemon.com yeah there should be something it, on pokemon.com if it can't as well be pokemon.com it should all be like organized somewhere for yeah. sure um, yeah there should be like a site you could just go to and just visit and you'll be able to see what are the regionals coming up when is the registration opening and it should be so easy but you have to kind of like do these workarounds where you have to follow the every different account on twitter by the way go follow what gallery games llc on twitter day two events on twitter and then overload events events on twitter those are the three tos if you're in north america for regionals this season north america besides mexico i'm still just going to call it north america um and then follow rk9 and uh yeah those are the four people you want to follow on twitter but yeah rk9 at the very least it should be on pokemon.com but at least it should be at least on rk9 labs ideally they would just have every event listed there you can look at them all or at least maybe two months out of events or something and then a little timestamp that they're gonna have there they're gonna have so sacramento will be here tomorrow and there will be a little under the tournament title there will be a little uh, note that says when registration opens but that should be there already why does it have to be the day of at that point it's too late 
for someone to go look for it, right? Like that's only going to be visible to people who already know that it's happening. So like it, it does matter to have it there at some point, but it should just be there so much sooner. It's just kind of silly that it's not there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way registration has gone so far, I mean, stuff has been filling up relatively quickly, but it's not what we saw, what we've seen in the past and uh, for the, our North American events, at least where it's like selling out in one second. We might see this issue pop up with like NAIC still, and we might see it pop up later in the season as more people, you know, catch wind of kind of the situation where people start playing the game with the, you know, higher cash pricing on the line. Um, But Pittsburgh registration is still live, actually. Like, so if you're listening to this and you're like, hmm, I live kind of close to Pittsburgh, all this prize pool change sounds pretty nice. I want to get a piece of that pie. You can still go register for the tournament yeah. right now as far as uh, at least in this moment. Now, I don't know when you're listening to this, if it's still the true the, the case, but arcanine.gg, go check it out. See if you can still register if you want to still compete in this tournament. So Pittsburgh is still, you can still register for Pittsburgh right yeah, now? Yeah, I checked yeah. right now, yeah. Yeah, that's like another thing when the when the price pool increased, like, once again, it's like, it it is true, but a lot of people are like, oh, great. It's going to be so much harder to register for regionals now because everyone's going to want to, you know, there's that many more people. It's like, Sure, that is like a but like how is like that like how are you bent out of shape about that like how is that like the main thing you're thinking about and kind of already have like mm-hmm. gripes with the prize pool increasing is that now terms are gonna fill up faster and to kind of talk to that um, so yeah I mean Barcelona went like instantly which all European events I believe since post COVID have gone like you know ten seconds you know yeah. you got to be there so that kind of sucks it would like it would be nice to see I think the so it, the goal I think would ideally be like. So you do want tournaments to cap, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second, but it'd be nice if like we had like kind of the Peoria situation where registration was open for like two hours before it capped, right? So that was good. Four hours, I think, right? Oh, four you hours, put your yeah. tweet out, you asked how long it had been oh, yeah. up, and Chris Shemansky replied and said it went four plus hours. I went to bed at some point, so yeah. Chris was so up four kind hours. of looking at it, seeing what it was at. You know, Chris, you know, he's a uh judge in the community he also does work like staffing a lot of these tournaments and he works with arcanine on a lot of things too so um you know he saw it was up for four some hours and so it probably sold out sometime in the wee hours of the morning if i had to guess yeah so i think if that's the if that's the end result from every regional this season in north america um then i think that would be ideal like if 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 well i think it would be okay i don't know if it would be ideal well, compared to the alternative of like things selling out in like ten seconds, I think that's fine. I think four plus hours is fine. Like I think everyone well, who really wants to register will register, and then it, there is like a time gap there for like everyone else to get in there. Ideally, you know, twenty four hours, forty eight hours would be better. But like if we end up only at four plus hours every time, like I don't know, that feels like it's. Uh, we do have to remember though that our is in a pretty good spot. Our, we have to remember though, like our game is super unique in the fact that it is played by the hyper competitive you know the semi-competitive it's played by the casual and it's also played by like the super super casual player right our game is super unique in that aspect compared to a lot of like games that have pro tours and stuff like that so uh i mean i think that if there was it would be cool if there was someone who lives in pittsburgh who plays pokemon casually um saw oh there's a regionals here next weekend. There's a tournament. Oh, sure. I want to go sign up and play for that tournament. They could go online and still sign up for the tournament. Now, I know it's not necessarily feasible for it to always be available, but I think like there should be, 
I think in an ideal world, registration could be open for like a week before it sold out or they closed it for whatever other reason. Well, to, to kind of talk to that, like I said, we want the tournaments, we do want the tournaments to cap because the one that shows the tournaments, uh, the game is growing because one thing that people like, well, the game can grow without it capping, right? Like well, the cap could be the cap could be five thousand people for the rest of the year, right? And then the regionals no, but that's, could still continue to increase in size, and it would still show the game not, is growing, right? But that's not. But then we're gonna have we're gonna run into the problems of tournaments capping way too low in the future because what's gonna happen is then tos aren't gonna get that much space for the next time the regional comes around. So next year, if this year they got five thousand play spots and only three thousand filled, next year they'll be like, well, what do we do? Do we get three thousand? Do we get four thousand? Like, what do we do at this point? So the, the TOs are, are having to get uh, buy a certain amount of venue space, but they don't. But once again, we have to they treat it like they are a business. They should treat it like a business. And us as players should understand and be OK with them treating it as a business where they're like, we only want to get as much space as we think we're going to be able to fill. And we should be fine with that. And then as the player base, if we want to keep showing that the game is growing and we, that we deserve bigger events, we, we hit the tournament cap, whatever the tournament cap might be. So if they get enough space for 1500 players and we have 2000 players that want to show up well maybe they won't be able to get more space this year but what we have been seeing even though people think that it's not happening for whatever reason is tournament caps have been increasing year over year uh baltimore last year we only had 1100 players there and then the cap size for uh pittsburgh initially was 1600 i want to say which was already competing probably past what baltimore was yeah that was with juniors and seniors too as well that 1600 yeah. number was with juniors and seniors. So like that's for the Masters like, division, it was like a, probably like 1500 or something like that. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's only like 140 players for the juniors and seniors. So it was like yeah, 1500 sure. and they did increase it. They've opened the cap up bigger. And now we have what? 20, uh, 2100, 2122 players are currently registered for Pittsburgh Regional. So they got more seats. They opened up the space bigger. And now, you know, take away 200, that is 1,900 Masters, potentially. And I think that I think the cap for Masters is around 1,900, actually. I think they said uh, it was like yeah, 1,875 was go or 1,975. But, they actually tweeted their exact caps, which a lot of yeah. tournament organizers don't do, and I'm glad that they did uh, choose to do this. So how many people did you say it is right now? Uh, 200, uh, 2,100. 21 what, though? 2,122. Okay, so there's not many spots left because yeah. the total number of uh, 1872 plus 288 is 2160. So that means there's between juniors and seniors and masters like 40 seats available right now still for the tournament. So it's it's going to cap very soon, most likely. Yeah, but but uh, and that's good. We want it to cap. And, sure. and unfortunately, that means some people are going to miss out, right? We want it to cap because we want to show that the game is growing. And that's the way we show to the organizers that the game is growing and we want bigger tournaments, right? Because if we don't hit the cap, then the tournament organizers left there with these extra seats. And it's like, okay, well, next year when we run this tournament, do we get more seats? Do we get less seats? We, we can't expect them as a business to want to be wasting money on venue space, right? So when they do, when, when overload goes out of their way to try and get those extra seats, we should be grateful for that. Um, and they did increase, I think, the overall cap from last year's Baltimore regionals to this year's Pittsburgh regionals, which means they are increasing the cap. And we've seen this like year over year, especially with like NAIC. Everyone was kind of, uh, you know, it did kind of suck that NAIC capped really fast and not everyone got into NAIC that they could. But NAIC was increased by 50% of how many Masters players we had from last year to this year. That's a huge increase. We hit the cap again. 
they're going to increase it again this next year. And I think we can only really truly be mad and frustrated with the tournament organizers in TPCI when they're not increasing the caps for these major tournaments. But as long as they're increasing the caps, it's our job as the players, if we want bigger tournaments, to hit the caps. And if we're not hitting the caps, then they're not going to increase the, the, the venue space. But it's not fair for us to ask the TOs or TPCI to buy out a whole convention center um, and then waste, lose a bunch of money on that when we don't fill up the whole thing, right? So they make a judgment call on how much space they think they can fill. And then us as the players, uh, it's like a back and forth, right? We want them to ho hold these events for us. And as, as the game increases and gets bigger, we want them to hold bigger events. Well, we have to show up in the numbers to tell them, hey, you need to get a bigger venue size or you can get a bigger venue size because um, the players will be there. We'll be there. We're showing we're going to be there. You know, the, these tournament registrations are capping out and, you know, Peoria was four hours. Pittsburgh was instantly basically the first time around, but now has been open for a little bit, a little while. It's like, hey, we're going to be there, you know, keep increasing the tournaments, uh, tournament space for us and we'll keep showing up. You know, it's kind of like a back and forth where it's like, they're going to get uh, a bigger venue. We have to match that. They'll get it bigger again next time. We have to match that and continue, so on and so forth. Some people are going to miss out, but that's the way it's always going to be, right? Like people aren't throwing concerts and stuff for the, for the hope that uh, some people don't, that not all the seats sell out, right? They want to sell out every single ticket possible. That's the goal. Because at the end of the day, they are a business. So we have to like understand that as a community and be okay with that back and forth. And some people are going to miss out at the end of it all. I think the one thing we can hope for, um, for the, the regionals to come up past uh, Peoria. I mean, Europe feels like they're kind of screwed. Same thing with Australia. So sorry to them. It feels like every time. <laughs> but for North America, I think the one thing we can hope for is for the organizers in North America is that registration doesn't just go in like 30 seconds. If it, mm -hmm. it stays open for a couple hours, everyone who really wants to go will have the chance to go. And then ideally some people after that will also have the chance. But at the end of the day, I think we, we do want the tournaments to cap, which does mean some people are going to have to miss out. But that is actually a good thing for the game. It shows the game is growing um, and will push the TOs and tournament organizers or whatever to get bigger venues and bigger venues in terms of get bigger and bigger and bigger and so on and so forth, right? Uh, and it's like we're on like a steady track of just... Uh, growth as opposed to you know they buy 5k spots and then 3k people show up but well, what do they do next year right how do they respond to that but uh, as long as they it stays on like this track the players are showing up they're increasing the tournament sizes like i think we're on a good track it just does kind of suck sometimes in some of these situations but that's kind of like i guess growing pains right yeah no i i mean i agree for sure it's and there will always there will always be a cap because I've, I've seen this way too many times it like blows my mind Venues are actually only so big. So no matter what, there's always going to be a cap, but they're a business, so it's reasonable for them to not lose money on the amount of space they end up buying, right? We shouldn't yeah. put it on the, the TOs to buy a whole convention center because we're never going to fill that yet, right? But we're getting to the point, yeah. we'll eventually get to the point where we can fill that, but it has to be a little bit of back and forth while we get there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally get what you're saying, and yeah, I agree. I'm on board for sure. I mean... It's good that tournaments are capping. It shows that the game is continuing to grow, that a lot of people want to play. It's not good when they're capping in seconds, but yeah, I think like, it's, uh, you know, being open for a few hours and then filling is kind of a good place for the game Steady. to be right now. So hopefully the TOs in Europe can kind of get their stuff together and figure out what's <laughs> happening. And because the fact that Barcelona, seats. the fact that Barcelona only had 400 seats is wild. That's crazy. Wild. Have they made a statement on like getting more space at all? I don't think I saw anything. I think they no, they did. They but all they said was, if you're not planning to go to the tournament, please unregister by this oh, yeah. date because <laughs> it's Dude, a special think... event, so it's free, so anyone can just go in and register, right? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, 
there's no I like people are probably considering it because like if they were going to like only so many major tournaments now that they see the prize pool increase for like regionals it's like maybe i just skip out on this special event and i go to an american regional or something like if it's like pretty close yeah. in cost or like maybe they try and make their way to another european regional instead and just kind of skip out on barcelona to be honest yeah for sure yeah and especially like i <laughs> the, i think that i mean with the way everything has sold out instantly in europe for the past year uh with this prize pool increase you're gonna have a lot more international players coming like and i mean outside yeah. of europe international right i mean most of the european players like it's international no matter where it is right um but yeah i mean uh, people are gonna be you know fiending for the that cash trying to get their piece of the pie so <laughs> hopefully they get it figured out we'll see what's the first regional for yeah that'll europe? be interesting it is Lil in october so registration for that is probably going to be up soon, I would imagine. I'd hope so. Because that tournament see... is that tournament's only uh, three weeks away. Yeah. And actually, uh, we talked about this. Um, RK9, it was actually RK9. It was first I saw it from Overload Events, I think, specifically. But then I believe RK9 made a reply to someone yeah, as to me. well. I'll, I'll pull it up. You send it to me. Oh, okay, go ahead. Yeah. So hopefully we can expect this for all... This is, I think, specifically talking towards... Actually, it might be talking towards, like, all major tournaments in general. Um, but yeah, Arcanine uh, put out this... I believe a reply to someone uh, was asking, like, when can we expect tournaments to kind of open up for registration? And Arcanine replied, the goal for the season is to regularly open registration eight weeks before the tournament. Um, with these with first these few first tournaments, few, yeah. that deadline wasn't possible to meet due to many things up in the air, so the time frame has needed to be shorter. Um, so it says with these first few tournaments, so hopefully that means, you know, past this point, hopefully getting towards these next couple tournaments that are about two months away now, uh, registration starts opening, you know, in the coming weeks. Um, so it sounds like that's the goal for not, I don't know if that's just talking about North American tournaments, it's a little bit hard to like sometimes decipher the difference. And I kind of, I definitely feel like, to be honest, like we did lose Team Northwest in North America, but I feel like um they 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 had a pretty their, their tournament ran pretty well at the end of fresno um gallery games has done tournaments in the past and it's felt pretty solid um i feel like the tournament organizers in north america i think definitely seem like they're a step above what pretty much everyone else has to deal with so sometimes it feels like when people like if from, yeah. from that message from arcana i don't know if they're talking specifically just about north american tos or if they're talking about kind of everyone's major tournaments so i wouldn't be surprised if that's only talking about North American TOs there to be honest because it definitely yeah I feel bad for <laughs> I feel bad for the the players in Latin America who have to deal with Copag and all the European organizers never seem that great people who yeah. still haven't been paid from LAIC last year like are people still missing out I'm missing I saw someone talking about it like that they still hadn't gotten paid yeah so I definitely feel bad um but yeah you're more than welcome I mean all anyone who wants to come to some North American regionals you're more than welcome to melt welcome to make your way over here and play in them as long as you can register for them so um get to experience the uh <laughs> maybe a, um the better side of it over here because i definitely think we have it really good here in uh in north america to be honest compared to what everyone generally seems to have to deal with well let's get this ad read done let's get to guess that flavor text and our last topic azul before we get into our bonus episode so before we move on here in the cast we do have to give a big thanks to dragon shield for being a sponsor of the uncommon energy podcast dragon shield of course makes some of the best card gaming and tabletop gaming products and accessories on the market including sleeves binders deck boxes and much much more 
right here in the script it says azul follow-up oh oh my god i was like zoned out for a second <laughs> yeah um yeah huge shout out to dragon chill as always you know huge fan uh of the sleeves specifically um and of course you can always find them pretty much anywhere uh over at their uh website specifically if you want to dragonchill.com slash webshop slash eu or us Ooh. depending on where you're located or like i said anywhere else amazon walmart local game stores they're everywhere check them out um chip you ready to get into guess that flavor text yeah let's do it it is my turn azul this week to pick a card for you so <laughs> here we go so this is guess that flavor text each week azul and i azul or i each week azul or i picks a card uh, isn't it i or azul no wait <laughs> Oh, go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. We're back to where yours is. Each week, Azul or I will pick a card and we read the flavor text from the card. The co-host has to try to guess what Pokemon we're talking about. What Pokemon does that flavor text belong to? You get a couple of lifelines to help you along the way to get it figured out. Those lifelines are what set the card is from, what stage the card is, and read an attack name. Azul, I picked one this week that I think you can totally get. Okay. And I think you can totally get it. And I think you might have to use some lifelines to do it. That's all I'm going to say, but <laughs> I think you can do it. All right. I believe right. in you is what I'm saying here. Okay. Hit me with the flavor text chip. All right. In its true form, it possesses a huge amount of power legends of its. Oh man, I should have picked one. I kind of skimmed over it didn't realize there was this word in here legends of its avarice tell how it once carried off an entire castle to gain the treasure hidden within all right you have to give me that what is avarice supposed to be a avarice is a fancy word for extreme greed for wealth or material gain okay all right go ahead tell me read it to me one more time yep in its true form, it possesses a huge amount of power. Legends of its avarice tell how it once carried off an entire castle to gain the treasure hidden within. It's a Pokemon that is able to carry off an, carry an entire castle, and it cares about treasure? Dude, I'm blanking on this one. So I've thought about, I mean, Meowth is a, but, but Pokemon but Meowth ain't carrying a castle. <laughs> but he likes the coins. Um man, this one's tough. In its true form. So that it, it has like multiple forms. I'm trying to think about Pokemon with forms. For some reason, like when I'm thinking of forms, I'm thinking I thought of Deoxys initially, but I don't think that's a Deoxys. Now I'm thinking about Eternatus VMAX, like Eternatus, because I remember in the video game, like Eternatus, I don't know if that's like Eternatus' true form or something that you battled it in at the top of that building or whatever that was, but Bro, you sound right. No shot. Well, I beat Eternatus. I so people in my chat were telling me I didn't finish finish the game. Or did but, you catch the legendaries? No, I didn't get Zacian or Zamazenta, but I beat Eternatus. I did the main story, right? I completed the main story. The yeah. Um, oh, and true form. Well, I definitely if there was use... a way for you to try to whittle this down. And, yeah, uh, I'm going to have to use a help. lifeline. What? What's. Uh oh. Hang on, Azul. You cut out there for a second. 
Oh, your camera froze for me too. Okay, now you're back. All right, am I back? Yeah, you are back. I guess okay. it was on my end. I think it was, yeah. So what set is the card from? The card is from Shining Legends. Shining Legends. I don't remember fully what's in that set, to be honest. Do you remember any Pokemon from that set? These are Mew, if I remember correctly. I'm using a lot of extra sets. <laughs> uh, there was one pretty pretty good card in this set. Really? In Shining Legends? I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, some consider it the best ever. What? Zorark? Zorark was in Shining Legends? Oh, that, see, I don't even remember what set I was actually thinking about until... Okay, so Zorark, Shining Legends, and... Yeah, I have no idea. All right, get, 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 give me another one here. What what uh, what stage the card is? It is a basic, basic true form. Pokemon has like multiple forms or can transform. Basic shining legends. All right, give me an attack name. This is I'm going down here. Super Psy Bolt. Is it Mewtwo? Right, read me the read me the uh the thing again. The In its thing true thing. form, it possesses a huge amount of power. Legends of its avarice tell how it once carried off an entire castle to gain the treasure hidden within. But wanted the treasure specifically. Jirachi, maybe is now what I'm thinking. I'm gonna go with Jirachi. Let's go with Jirachi on this one. I don't know. This no, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't know what the, what Pokemon this is. <laughs> you maybe is not Jirachi. Oh wait, I, the attack name. It would never be Jirachi because of the attack name. What was the attack name again? Super Cybolt. That could be a Jirachi. Jirachi's a psychic type. Yeah, but there's no Jirachi card with Super Cybolt. I don't think there's not very many psychic. This Jirachis. is an attack that you may have an announce may have announced in the tournament. I actually don't was know. It, if you was it Mew? this card? This card was super played in its time. And the card is from Shining Legends. Hoopa. Oh, what? Yeah, I would have never got that. <laughs> I thought you could have gotten this one, man. No. No, I don't think I ever played this Hoopa to be honest. I played against it a couple times. I don't think I yeah, ever played this yeah. Hoopa, though. This card was pretty played back when it came out. It's got the Scoundrel Guard ability. Prevents all effects of attacks, including damage done to this Pokemon. By your opponent's Pokemon GX or EX. And of course, Pokemon GX and EX dominated the format. So this was a uh, quad Hoopa was a deck for a while where people literally just yeah. played four of these guys and played DCE and uh, Darkness Energy Dark and energy. just attacked with it. And it was really difficult for the way people had built their decks to, to deal with a Hoopa. It's got a lot of HP. Um, just like yeah, you don't know the Hoopa lore deck. of Hoopa. It uses its rings to like teleport and move things, right? And it has an obsession with treasure, like it likes treasure. Is that like a yeah, bro? These golden like, rings. Look at this guy. Looking down. Yeah. Do you uh, know? Yeah. Like, and and it has the little form of Hoopa as well. Um. There's big Hoopa, and here's little Hoopa. Yeah, little Hoopa. Yeah. Oh, so that's his true form. Is the is the big form. guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, makes sense. I didn't know Hoopa was obsessed with treasure though. No. And yeah, Hoopa also one. has maybe one of my favorite full art cards is this Hoopa EX from Ancient Origins. Not really that cool, to be honest. Bro, this is a pretty sick card. Come on now. <laughs> maybe it's, it's just kind of... the, the Mega Ray player in me. It's like I see yeah, this card probably. and I'm like, oh, yes. Look at his feet. 
He's chilling, man. He's chilling. He's got like 18 <laughs> hands as well. See, look, his hands, he's using his rings oh, yeah. to like make portals and stuff. And the hands through them. Better luck next week, Azula. I really thought you could get this one. So. The Hoopa's feet do not fit Hoopa, though. All right, get, let's get off the feet. Um, and we'll move on to our last topic. We've talked about this. looking up Hoopa on Feet Finder later. <laughs> they just like stand out. They don't feel like they fit the, the way the rest of the uh, Pokemon looks. Uh, we've talked about this a couple times, but now it's been fully revealed. I mean, I think I'm going to go out of my way to pick up one of these probably. I know you are. But the Pokemon, what is it called again? Pokemon trading card game classic. Um, I guess like all the cards. When does this even come out? There's been like, they've been hyping this up for a while. But the deck lists are finally revealed. No English pricing or release date has been revealed yet, but it will release, quote, late fall. So, I mean, it's probably a holiday product, right? But this mm. is, yeah, a super high-end Pokemon TCG product. It's likely going to be... Uh, or in Japan, it comes out in October and it's going to cost 35,000 yen, which is about 275 US dollars. Wouldn't be surprised to see this retail for like 299, could be like 249, 279.99, I guess, but that's not really a price point that they use very often. I feel like 299 feels like more than likely where this is going to sit, which is super expensive and maybe the most expensive individual product that pokemon's ever put out i don't think they've put out anything more expensive previous to this there's some super premium collections that the msrp is 120 dollars 119.99 or 124.99 maybe but i don't like think there's anything involved close to this huh with cards involved specifically <clears throat> yeah with cards involved yeah because i was just trying to think of like another like the there's like special edition switches and stuff like that but or like the watches recently because like sure. Lorelai had me she wasn't home and she like <laughs> calls me and is like you needed me to buy me the Gengar watch that just went up on the Pokemon Center. I was like okay. I think those are like $300. But yeah card products I think this is like the most expensive product ever probably. Um, it's it's pretty cool. I mean I I hope it's fun. Like I hope the decks like are actually enjoyable to play. Right? So just just kind of suck. Quick recap if... for anyone that doesn't know. Tell them what it, what what this is. Yeah, so the product is, it's supposed to be like its own way to play the Pokemon TCG. It comes with like uh, very unique uh, damage counters and way to roll a die slash flip a coin by ro rolling a marble down the, uh, I don't know, little coin flip thing. Um, has like unique damage counters and burn and poison markers. Uh, and then it comes with a board um, and it's supposed to be like this like, you know, high end type product. Um, it's supposed to look kind of uh, fancy, um, and it comes with uh, three decks. Three decks three decks that are uh, unique decks based around the original starters, Blastoise, Charizard, and Venusaur. Um, and it's just supposed to be like, that's like, that's, it's supposed to be like its own way to play the Pokemon TCG in it of itself. Um, and at Worlds, they released, or they showed off, I guess I should say, the, the decks. I didn't know this was actually a thing at Worlds. It was in like the activity area, I think. Um, I didn't know they were showing this off at Worlds, but yeah, all the all the decks were on display for all the lists um, in the uh, in the activity area. So apparently they had that there. And um, uh, yeah, I mean it'll be interesting. Uh, I haven't really looked too much over the cards. They do have Rockets Admin in the lists though, so that's like a good thing. I feel like in terms of you know comeback potential in the decks. But I hope it's actually fun, and I hope the decks actually 
are enjoyable to play against each other and it doesn't kind of feel like you're just playing theme decks or something like that you know so i hope there's a little bit of depth to it to the play and the back and forth and uh and all of that so that's what i'm hoping for with this uh and the decks are i mean i'm looking at it now the decks are kind of unique in terms of like there's no real it doesn't seem like there's any real um what do i want to say there doesn't seem like there's any real era or era uh like there's via seeker in here right there's via seeker rockets admin yeah set charizard poo ex and the fire one it looks like right there yeah um so there's not like there's not like and is, is the deck both sides of it or is just one side 60 cards what do you mean three four five six seven eight nine ten okay so that's like that's like two decks two of the decks oh yeah yeah yeah. so there's one this was at world so there's one in japanese one in english so oh i didn't even like i literally didn't even realize that (laughs) yeah yeah so hopefully the the biggest thing for me is like it does look like they've gone out of their way to include cards from all eras of the game which i think is really cool for sure like we see silver stuff in here we've got current stuff like boss's orders right um computer search you know that's a big callback and it looks like the decks are all very similar power level wise like they've they've got the same energy lineups for the most part it looks like they all have two double colorless energy and then 14 basic energy and then they've all got very similar supporter lineups with like a supporter that works more uniquely for their deck actually that might just be the blastoise deck has a fisherman Oh no, yeah, the Venusaur deck has a Pokemon Nurse, which would like work with Pokemon mm-hmm. Nurse is kind of like Max Potion. It heals everything. And Venusaur has like an energy transfer uh, poke power. The Charizard Ho Oh deck actually doesn't have like a special supporter in it. So that's actually a little interesting, to be honest. But the Blastoise mm-hmm. deck has like a Fisherman. But other than that, they have like the same supporter lineup. They all have unique trainer card. lineups with the Pokeballs like and the Ultra Ball, the computer search. So it's like the resources are pretty in line across the board. Yeah. Um, and it feels like it is probably more of a collector item than anything, but it'd be cool if like the decks are actually enjoyable to play against each other. If they went either way to actually try and construct the decks in a way that makes it like you're um playing Pokemon in like this restricted format, right? As opposed to just like, I don't know, playing I mean pl- theme decks is the same thing, but like theme decks not holding on a depth or in like team X only goes so far. So it'd be nice if this is actually enjoyable to play as well. I don't know how many people are actually going to be cracking it open and actually playing with it. Most people are probably going to put it in their closet, but um... you know, no, probably what's going to happen for most people is they're going to crack it and then they're going to send the cards in to get graded. Oh, you think that's going to be the move? That's going to be what a lot of people do, which I'm actually kind of disappointed. That's going to be the case. I bet you the week after this thing comes out, there's going to be a gajillion of this on eBay, the like damage counter and <laughs> flip thing, because people you think are anyone be like, I got the cards like what else am I supposed to do with this? So I'm a little disappointed gonna... that that's most likely what's going to happen here. I hope a lot of people take an opportunity to try to play. It. I'm going to be trying to pick one up for sure. And yeah try to trying to to get some games and try to play it and see how it is see if it's fun anyone's gonna roll up with that with the dice thing the 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 randomizer and try and use it at a real pokemon tournament definitely but i don't think yeah, you, you think can use happen? it right i don't think you can no it has to be a coin or a die i'm pretty sure uh, i remember back uh, in the day that someone actually rolled up with a automatic card shuffler <laughs> like one of my first like league cups i ever went to that's way funny. back in the day just threw their um, unsleeved deck in there for sure, right? Yeah. I do kind of like the damage counters. I think they're cool. Um, that's one thing that I do think is pretty cool. And if you have them organized like that, it shouldn't be like too tedious to actually use, I don't think. 
Um, so I think those are actually pretty cool, to be honest. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see maybe some other product come out eventually, um, like official Pokemon product that like that uh, is stacking damage counters like outside of this product to potentially use at tournaments and stuff. Because they seem like pretty reasonable, to be honest. Yeah. The stacking damage counters. It also does come with its own uh, deck box uh, for each of the decks with a you know symbol on it, depending on which mm -hmm. type the deck is. And it also has its own card sleeves. Are I actually like this kind of like simplistic design of the card sleeves. I imagine there's um, three different sets, maybe a gray, a white, yeah. and a black, right? Um, mm -hmm. I hope that they're good quality. I hope, hope, hope <laughs> that the sleeves do not suck. That is the biggest concern, I think, for me looking at this product because the sleeves that Pokemon has been making the last few years have pretty – across the board like not been very good the pokemon center ones are okay the elite trainer box sleeves are trash yeah they're not very good yeah hopefully they are like a, a step above in terms of quality i mean that's what you'd hope for for something like a product like this that's going to be as expensive as it is right um that'll be a little bit higher quality i also hope that like the now that i'm looking at it, it looks like it's plastic the thing that holds the damage counters um I would hope that it wasn't plastic, but it looks like it is plastic. I feel um, like that kind of throws the theme off a yeah, little bit if it's actually plastic. plastic. I mean, I think it's okay if it's plastic, if it's like a solid, thick plastic, right? But I don't know. If it's it would be nice if it was like a wood. Kind of ruins uh, the vibe. I wonder yeah. what the the or a resin board is or made out of. Like that. Yeah. I wonder what the board is made out of. Because uh, yeah, it's like velvet on the inside. That holds the, but it's probably it's hard to tell. Other, yeah, I really wish that at Worlds I had gone and checked this out. I might have as well, but I actually just did not know it existed. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I bet someone you think someone's going to show up at a regionals with like one of these in their backpack as their play mat. <laughs> the big board. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I feel like some people are like, would be like, well, I spent the money on it. I want to go, I want to get some value out of this thing. So they bring it, but they would have to like do it one sided, right? So they'd have to keep it folded. So they're, they're just like playing three inches off the table up. Uh, and you have to like, you know, sit up a little bit to see what's on their bench. <laughs> yeah. Overall, I'm excited for this. I think it's very cool. They've added cards from all areas of the game. Uh, and they all are, or I don't know if they're all hollow. Maybe just the, okay. uh, pretty cool i mean look at this dce man that that is super cool. cool what is the regulation mark on that in the bottom left what is that actually it says clv which is like probably classic version or something like that but they CLV, every single card has Blastoise. a little note right here that says this card cannot be used at official yeah. tournaments so that, none of these yeah. cards are legal for tournament play Except for basic energy. They did specify basic energy are able to be used. So, Oh, well, these are actually going to be worth a lot then, aren't they? Probably, yeah. Is they're going to be... They're going to be unique hollow pattern. Yeah, they look very similar to the, like, the Wizards of the Coast promo energy cards. So there's energies out there that look like this, but it's not exactly... That's like more Cosmofoil. This is kind of yeah. more like star splatter they actually have like little stars imprinted into the foil it looks like which is pretty unique i don't oh, know yeah. they've ever, i don't think they've used this hollow pattern on anything before oh yeah i mean those energy are going to be really expensive then because they're actually playable yeah those will be actually really yeah there's little expensive. stars in the venusaur here it looks like 
But yeah, we just wanted to highlight and left. talk about this product. I think it's something both of us are kind of excited for, excited to give a try. I'm I'm just excited that like there are people at Pokemon who want to make like unique things like this that yeah. are centered around playing the Pokemon TCG, right? We get enough like collector products and stuff like that. The fact that this is literally dedicated to playing and it's its own unique format, which I'm sure uh, had its fair share of testing and refining done to like iron out Hopefully. and figure out these decks as to like what will make them fun and competitive to play again or like i don't i don't Enjoyable. know competitive is the right word but you know the, the fact that it's its own format and like I, ho- I hope that they're just balanced across the board i'm excited looking forward to playing with it yeah as long as they're enjoyable to play that's like the main the main thing that i would like I, and unfortunately i feel like because of the exclusivity of it and the way it's branded or kind of being um advertised i think it it is going to basically be a collector item, but um, the fact that they went out of their way and did something like this initially, maybe that we'll see other stuff in the future that kind of is is similar, but maybe a little bit more geared towards just having like a way to play the game um, in general. Even like, you know how they have like the League Battle Decks? Is that what they're called? Yeah. They did like a little bit more with those even in almost like this style of, of the thing. That would be kind of cool where you get like, you know, a bunch of them together. And maybe yeah, has sure. more competitive cards to like work with afterwards or something like that. But yeah, those almost um, just existed more to like put competitive cards into the market, right? That almost, but then also yeah. like people could just roll up to a store and get a decent playable deck that they could go play in a tournament or that they could go get the cards out of, uh, to like you know use to compete at a tournament or anything like that. Like, I know people who literally bought the Palkia deck for the battle vip passes in the radiant greninja you know to like yeah, put yeah, in their yeah. lost box deck but um but okay yeah i think that's it on the trading card game classic and that's it for this episode thanks so much to everyone for listening and for your support as always if you want to show your support um a, w- a little way to go a little above and above and beyond just leave us a little rating a review drop a comment on the youtube video interact in some way helps us out a ton lets us know you're enjoying what's happening and it helps more people discover the podcast you can also follow us on x.com you can follow myself at chip Ritchie, azul at azul underscore gg and you can follow the podcast at uncommon underscore energy check us out over there appreciate the support as always um and then we'll catch you hopefully at the regular time tuesday at 7 a.m eastern but who knows maybe we'll get sick again this week and uh, we'll have to delay it again hopefully not we're hoping for the best why and, would you put uh, that yeah. out there <laughs> catch y'all next week and we'll catch our patrons in just a moment in our bonus episode <laughs>